Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. Well, again, shalom to you. I have a message I'd like to share with you. Um, in some ways, it has a simple point to it, but getting to that simple point is going to take a little wending of the way. So if you'll wend the way with me, come along with me on this journey here this morning. I want to start out by talking a bit about our nation. You know, probably like you, and as much as I am thankful for our nation, and thankful for this country that we live in. Many of us were born here and so thankful. I remember telling our children as, we, as they were being raised, telling them, first of all, how glad they should be that we, our mother tongue was English because they'll be able to use that anywhere they go. A few centuries ago, they used to be French and other languages. But, but meanwhile, as we look and you know, take a gander at our country, I, I see some trembling, some... Uh, some uh, troubling trends that are transpiring in the nation. And although the message here today I'm going to share with you isn't necessarily about all those trends, I think you would agree there's some troubling trends transpiring. The alliteration is on purpose, even though I can't say it well. With our nation, and indeed with our world, there's some things happening. And among these trends that I want to speak about, there are growing sectors of our population that are willfully, willfully distancing themselves from the living God. Willfully. Uh, to state it bluntly, if I could state it bluntly, many Americans are choosing to disregard God's call on their lives. A call, when you think about the call of God, and if you were to describe and, and use some adjectives for the call of God, it would include some words like virtuous or virtue or goodness, holiness, and godliness. And these type of trends, there's a trending that's happening that's become obvious even to onlookers. Those from other countries looking into this country, they're, they're trend, there's some trending happening that, that we notice. It was the late chief rabbi of Great Britain who also, across the pond, as it said, across the sea, he was noticing some trends in the world, including Great Britain, including the United States. And he sought to bring um, forward some of the dangers of this trend. And he wanted to bring the dangers to us, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory. He wanted to bring it to our collective attention, some of what he was noticing happening there. And this is, I want to quote something that Rabbi Sachs said. Quote, after the Holocaust, we need God more than ever. For there is no limit to the evil men may do 
when they no, no longer believe that anything is sacred, end quote. And recently, three significant trends were uncovered by a Pew Research um, poll that they did, and the poll was on spirituality and religiosity. Trend number one that they noticed when they gathered and accumulated all the data, they noticed trend number one, about three in ten U.S. adults are now religiously unaffiliated, 30%. The second trend that they noticed with their poll, Pew Research, number two was self-identified Christians make up 63% of the U.S. population. That was in 2021. But, and here's the trending, that's down from 75% just a decade before, and when you're thinking of or considering 300, approximately 350 million people living in the country, a 12% decrease signifies a lot of people, a lot of people. And some of you are math-oriented, and you can figure that out, but thousands and thousands and thousands of people that at one point had identified as being Christians are now, they're not identifying like that anymore. 12% of the population, according to the Pew Research. And the third trend that they noticed is this one. They noticed that the secularizing shifts evident in American society so far in the 21st century shows no signs of slowing. In other words, the secular trend, away from religious, the secular trend is not, there's no sign that it's slowing down. It's continuing to snowball. Three alarming trends when you think about it, as far as the impact on a population of people. These, in, these trends indicate that numbers of Americans are choosing, they're choosing to live as they please. And they're choosing to live as they please and not according to what pleases God. And I don't know how that impacts you if you think about it. To me, that's troubling. That's troubling. And what those choosing to disregard the Lord and his word may not realize is that their choice is a serious choice, and it has eternal implications. Choosing to not serve God here in this life, well, what is the ultimate eternal ramification of that kind of a choice? And Scripture shows us clearly in many places, it shows us that living according to the dictates of one's own evil heart and our fleshly impulses, it's not, first of all, it's not a new phenomenon. As we read Scripture, we see it over and over again. For example, we can examine the biblical status of Israel as we read through the Bible and we see, uh, let's call them simply the ups and the downs of Israel's history, much of it recorded in the Bible. As we look at the ups and the downs of the history, we can see that there are parallel periods back then to what we're going through now. And some commentators go so far as to say that what we are experiencing now as far as America's moral decline mirrors that of Israel. And when you pick a time frame, many commentators say it mirrors what happened with Israel in the time of the Shoftim. Can you say Shoftim? The time of the judges of Israel. And if you haven't read the book of Judges lately, it is a pretty fascinating read. 
But commentators look at it, they're trying to see, well, what, what's happened in America? Where does it reflect? And how does it uh, look, when we look back at what happened with Israel, is there some kind of connection? And many say, well, this is like the time of the judges. And if you remember, there are two, there's a two-time uh, verses repeated in Judges. And Judges chapter 17, verse 6 says this, ein melech Translated says, in those days, ein melech Israel. There was no king in Israel. There was no authority in Israel. There, there was no one. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And the verse says, and this is repeated in Judges, keeps popping up in Judges. It says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, I don't know if you agree with what many commentators are saying, that what's happening in the United States right now, in America, let's call it America, does have some kind of a connection back to what happened in the days of, of a Shoftim, of the judges. I, I do see some connection there. The Lord called Israel to embrace him as king and to receive his word, if you would, as the law and as truth to receive his word. Adonai, the Lord, he meant for the society to acknowledge him on every level, to acknowledge him, to acknowledge him as the true authority of their lives. And for society to function, as it were, using the precepts and the principles of his word as the parameters for their daily life. For example, how they would act as an individual, how they would behave as a family, how they would conduct themselves as a family, and also how they would conduct themselves as a society. As you look back all the way back to the Torah, the original first five books, you see that some of the very commandments that God gives Israel strikes on each of those segments. It impacts the individual, impacts family, impacts society. And there's God's word speaking to all three sectors, sectors of society and, and human existence. But time and again, and you can read through Scripture, and some of you even now are probably thinking of times when Israel, Israel chose to go a different path in its history. And, to, and in a sense, to go what we might say, go their own way and do their own thing. When you add a, a, you know, an equation to that, that equals to being their own gods and choosing their own ways. And sadly, in a striking parallel, I think, to today, many today are choosing their own ways. They're championing plans and purposes that stand in contradistinction and sometimes obvious contradistinction to the good plan and purpose that God had in mind for all of us because I believe he has a good plan and purpose for your life and for mine and for this nation and for all nations because he doesn't want anyone to perish he wants all to come to what a knowledge of the truth the Bible points out, it points out after the time of the judges, after the, the period of time that was the Shoftim time, the, the judges period, and as Israel neared the 70-year exile in Babylon that awaited them, as Nebuchadnezzar was breathing hard on the doors of Jerusalem, ready to finally overrun Jerusalem and take captive, make exiles of, of, of all of uh, Judah, 
God sent Jeremiah to remind Israel at that time that God's plans and his intentions for them were for good and not for evil. And how strange it is when you think about that, he has to send his prophet Jeremiah who suffered greatly. He has to send his prophet Jeremiah to say something that should have, they should have known this. They should have realized and known that God's plan for them was for good and not for evil. That his thoughts for them were for good. His intentions were good for them. But many Israelites at the time of the raising, the sacking of Jerusalem under Nebuchadnezzar, many Israelites had come to believe a lie about the nature of God. Friends, I can tell you just my interaction in this society that I've met many people who have a, a, just a warped view of the nature of God, who, who see God in, in a way that's just not what Scripture shows. And many Israelites, just as Jerusalem's being sacked, just as Nebuchadnezzar's taking uh, thousands and thousands of, of uh, Israelites into exile in Babylon, they believed a wrong view. They had a wrong view of the very nature of God. And they didn't see God as good. They didn't see his words were, were of value. They didn't value his words. And they didn't realize that his purposes for them were also for good. They had a warped view of the very nature and character of God. I see that here in this society and to me, it's just strange that Jeremiah, Jeremiah had to tell them what I'm going to say to you now, because it's recorded in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. This is what he has to say to them. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Why did Jeremiah have to say that? People thought that God was against them. God, you know, he, his character was bad that he didn't have good intentions for them. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and, and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when? When you search for me with all your heart. God has to send his prophet for that message so that they would get it. Hopefully, there would be some that would listen and say, God loves them. He cares about them, and he has good plans and purposes for them. In fact, I think that's a message we need to proclaim to people in our sphere of influence, because there are many warped views about the nature and character of God in this world today. The Lord desired people then to seek him and his ways just as he, as he desires people now to seek him and his ways. Describing modern society, theologian, he's actually an Asian, theologian, Lather Badoy, wrote this. I think it's quite illuminating. Quote, he's describing modern society as he sees. He comes from a different part of the world, although he's American. Quote, we live in a world that is increasingly evil and ungodly. Evil has taken on new forms. <laughs> Satan has worked to blur the distinctions between right and wrong and righteousness and unrighteousness. Spiritual and moral discernment is at a low point even among churchgoers. 
And many so-called Christ followers have accepted and may even be pursuing things which are evil according to the standards taught by God where? In the Scriptures. And there seem to be influencers in our society, and I believe it's probably in every society, influencers who purposely and instinctively push people towards ways that are not right in God's sight. Some of you have encountered them in your own lives, individuals that were trying to lead you in the wrong direction, trying to bring you further down that pathway of sinfulness and and disagreement with God's Word and going against God's Word. And even the prophet Habakkuk, when we think about him, what an unusual prophet. We, we, we tend more to remember what he said, that the just shall live by faith. He said in Hebrew, picked up by Rabshul and others in the New Covenant, that the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. But Habakkuk chapter 1 says this, verse 12. As he reflected on his day, he says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? And, and Habakkuk's looking around his society. He's wondering, where are you, Lord? What's happening? Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? And Habakkuk questions, and he comes to the point, as I've already mentioned a little later, he says, it's the just shall live by trusting God. And I hope today that that is your, really, your goal in life, to trust the Lord with all your heart, not to lean on your own understanding, but as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, but to acknowledge him, to know him in all your ways so that he might direct your path. That's a different flow than what's happening in the world around us. And we see this trending, increasing numbers in our society, trending away from godliness, trending away from associating with God's Word and even trying to adhere to God's Word. And, and as they, they no longer do that, they're, uh, they're taking other things and adopting other things into their lives and living by them. Habakkuk was vexed. He was vexed by what he saw in his society around him. He was, he was vexed, and you know, such vexation of soul, it's a characteristic found among God's people in many societies even now. As we look around us and we see what's going on in the society around us, we think, how could this be? We might have even cried out from our own heart, maybe not using these exact same words that Habakkuk did, like, well, Lord, where are you? Why are you not intervening? And Habakkuk had the nature of God corrected. Do you notice? Let me read this again. He said, you are of purer eyes, Lord, than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. He had that part right. He knew that. And this question was, why do you look on those who deal so treacherously? Many words of the prophet Isaiah also ring loudly to our, our ears today. They seem to apply to our generation. There's one that I've heard many times lately. Let me read this section. It's from Isaiah chapter 5, beginning with verse 20. 
And if you've heard it before, just raise your hand. <laughs> Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. I don't know how many times lately I've heard that passage. Some of you have too. And not just here at Rosh Pina Congregation, but among believers. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. This is from the time of Isaiah. These are some of his reflection by the Ruach about what was happening in the society around him. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And he continues, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. I don't know how many panels of experts there are now out there on the airwaves. And everybody's an expert. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And he continues in hitting some of the social fabric of the, his day, which sounds a lot like our day, doesn't it? Woe, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust. I don't know what kind of a picture you get, but I don't get a pretty one there. That's not a Mona Lisa statement. Again, therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust. Why? He explains. Because they have rejected the, the law, the teachings, the instructions of the Lord. They have rejected it. They've rejected the teachings of the Lord of hosts, and they've despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. To you, does that sound like some of what's happening now? To me, it does. That's from Isaiah. It, like, hits the core of human nature that refuses to regard God in their lives. And those wielding influence in our society often seek to, seek to influence us in ways that are contrary to God's very nature. Con it's contrary. Some of their, the ways they're trying to influence is contrary to his word and contrary to his Holy Spirit. And we do say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Sociologists refer and have for uh, many decades referred to a growing generation gap. How many of you have heard that term, generation gap? I heard it when I was a generation <laughs> younger. <laughs> But sociologists continue to, to refer to a growing generation gap in society when, in fact, the real issue is a growing gap in seeking God and living in accord with his blameless ways. There's the gap. There's what's trending, going another direction away from the Lord. Some Messianic believers have cut back on complete or, or completely stopped watching television. Why? Do they hate the television set? Not necessarily. But what's being transmitted through the airwaves is increasingly vexating. It's vexing. It's terrible. 
And so they've cut back. And even some of the ones that have been considered to be cleaner now are not as clean as they used to be. Some of the stations, some of the, the, the companies that are supposedly doing family-oriented stuff, it's, it's not like that, some of it anymore. It's difficult. Things that are being transmitted through the airwaves, through the television sets, sometimes aren't so good. And we won't even talk about the commercials. How many know what I'm speaking of when I talk about commercials on television? Whew. Some of the things they're selling, we don't even talk about in our home. I mean, it's just not, not just things you, you don't talk about. But there it is, plastered in front of you. You see, media, rather than encouraging us, not all media, of course there's good media, some. It's, it's, it seems to be less and less. But rather than encouraging what is good and true and holy right in the sight of God, so often is promoting the opposite of that. And what will be the outcome? Well, those that are continually connecting to that source and being influenced by it will be influenced, if, if, if you think about it, influenced possibly in the wrong direction in life, the wrong uh, inner reality to them. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 19 says this, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. And there are many other Proverbs that speak like that. But be assured, God is not pleased with some of the evil things happening. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. How much ungodliness? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of who? Men. And then it says this, who suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. When the truth is suppressed in unrighteousness, if, if a person continually is doing what's unrighteous, what are they not doing? They're suppressing truth that could be going in and through their life. They're suppressing the righteous things that they could be exhibiting. No, they're exhibiting the unrighteous things. As it says in Romans 1.18, to read it all in total, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the righteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And in some cases, in some cases, laws have been enacted that enable the doing of evil. What a discussion I had yesterday having to pick up our son at the airport. And our younger daughter and I went to pick up our son. And we were discussing a particular issue. And when I mentioned to her that, do you realize that eight states now say that it doesn't matter what age the, the unborn baby is? That the baby can be aborted up to the, the breath. And we talked about it. Like, one breath to the next could be life or death. And she got really quiet about that. And I mentioned several of the states that, uh, and I've lived in two of those states, <laughs> several, several of the states that allow up to birth the child to be murdered, really, in my opinion. And she was quiet about it. She hadn't really thought about the, the practical part of that. You see, there are things happening, there are laws being made that don't promote what's good, 
but they promote what's evil or what's hurtful. That they don't promote what's really uh, influ- influencing us towards good, but it, it, those are laws that would influence us towards things that aren't good. And such things, such types of laws fly in the face of one of the very first biblical truths that we encounter when we read the Bible. You know what it is? I'll say it to you. It says, in one term or another, it says, we are made in the image of God. There's many description as to what does that mean to be made in the image of God. But it does say we're made basically in the image of God. Now, this principle means, at least to some degree, that we're to emulate the Lord. We're to emulate Him by exhibiting His goodness and His mercy and His compassion and His love and His grace towards others. And also correction and other things that He does for us. Has God done all that in your life? Probably He's doing some of that now. He's getting your attention about things that you need to change. He's pointing out to you directions you need to go that maybe you hadn't thought of. And we're made in the image of God. In a sense, we, there's a representation that occurs, and I don't understand, and I have never met anyone that fully understands it. How could we? There's a representation that's happening with human beings vis-a-vis the Lord. It's called being made in the image of the Lord. So if we follow that through as far as character traits, that means his goodness, his mercy, his compassion and love, as I just mentioned, and the power, by the power of his Ruach HaKodesh, his Holy Spirit should be working in and through our lives. The Greek writer Sophocles, who lived in ancient Greece, just after, if you do a parallel time, he lived in ancient Greece right at the end of Israel's Babylonian period. Now, he wasn't part of that, part of the exile. He was in another part of the world. He was in you know, the Greek area. But it's curious what he, what he came to realize in life. Quote, let me quote him. Quote, It is only great souls that know how much glory there is in being good. End quote. Let me read that to you. It is only great souls that know how much glory there is in being good. He was onto something. <laughs> He was looking at the world around him in the Greek idolatrous world around him, and he was realizing, no, that's not really the way to go here. Licentiousness and immorality and drunkenness, no, that's not the way to go. It is only great souls that know how much glory there is in being good. And years later, well-known first uh, 17th century Welsh lawyer and Bible commentator Matthew Henry wrote this, quote, Nothing can make a man truly great but being truly good and partaking of God's holiness. Century later, John Wesley, one of the most famous quotes of John Wesley, and many of you have heard of him, he said this, quote, Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can, end quote. (laughs) The emphasis is do all the good you can in your life. Wherever you are, whoever you're with, do all the good you can. And who knows, and we probably remember 
can just imagine Yeshua as he said this. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, something. I smile when Joshua kept alluding to good work today as he did the, uh, the liturgy, that they may see your good works and do what? And glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light so shine. The trend here is for darkness to put out and extinguish that light, for people to willingly turn off their light or not follow the light. But Scripture does set a high bar for us as human beings. And if, we, if the high bar is set for us as human beings, then how much is the high bar set for human society? Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 says, Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The Amplified Version really explains that somewhat. What does he mean by that? Let me read to you what the Amplified Version says for Matthew 5, verse 48. It says, You therefore will be perfect, growing into spiritual maturity both in mind and character, actively integrating godly values into your daily life as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let me read that through one more time. You, therefore, will be perfect, growing into spiritual maturity, both in mind and character, actively integrating godly values into your daily life as your heavenly Father is perfect. And the first century apostolic writers, which we read about in the Brit Chalashat and the New Covenant, they realized quite quickly that the transformation, the transforming power of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, was absolutely necessary in every Messianic believer's life. They realized it. They spoke often about it. Here's one example in 1 Yohanan and 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. Now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he, when Yeshua is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And the very next verse in 1 John chapter 3 verse 3 says, and everyone who has this hope in him does what? Purifies himself. Purifies himself just as he is pure. You see, that's an important process for us. And my plea to us today it's really a simple one, even if it is an ancient one. Choose to do good. That's my plea for us. Many of you are already well on that road, but choose to do good. Remove the barriers to that. Choose to do good. Do as, do as much as you can in the way of goodness and good things. Make sure the good that you choose to do, though, is actually good in God's sight. It's what God chooses as good or what he calls good. Because there are some laws in society now that, in my opinion, they're not good laws because they don't push us towards godliness and holiness. They don't uphold the word of God. And those who have known me for a while... They do know that I have a favorite Bible verse. <laughs> How many of you have a favorite, favorite Bible verse? Anyone? What's yours, Eric? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Okay, I know Eric well enough to put him on the spot, but... <laughs> okay, go ahead. We'll let it go. Go ahead. Sword drill, yeah. 13.4. He has a real Bible. Did you see that? He's got a real Bible. How many of you have seen a real Bible lately? Yay. <laughs> a book. <laughs> Very good. You shall walk after the Lord to God and fear him and, and forward, uh, Deuteronomy 34. Anyone else have a favorite Bible verse? No one wants to raise their hand now. Michael, good. The 23rd Psalm, do you know that? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> A little bit. The 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And when I first began reading the Bible, it's about 18, I couldn't figure that verse out. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I kept thinking, I, I shall not want him. It didn't make sense. But it means I, shall, I won't lack anything. You know, I, was, I, I still take what it says kind of simply sometimes. One more. Anyone else have a favorite Bible? TJ. A verse. I'm asking for a verse, though. <laughs> Okay, who has a verse? Okay, Nancy. Very good. Romans 8.28. I think there's some other takers on that one as a favorite Bible verse. I've certainly used that a lot. Well, my favorite Bible verse is actually from the book of Nahum, Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. It starts out with two Hebrew words, two simple Hebrew words. It says, Tov Adonai. How many know what that means? The Lord is good. Good is the Lord. The Lord is good. Tov Adonai, Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. And over the years, I've encountered folks who also claim that this was their life verse, Nahum 1, 7. And the more I thought about it, I wondered, I never asked anyone this, but I wondered, um, by the way, that's a great verse. It's kind of mine, too. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. But I've never asked them, do you know what Nahum said before that? Let me show you what he said before that. Now, I've never asked anyone. I was never that blunt with them about it. I'll just read a verse or two. Uh, Nahum chapter 1, verse 2. I'll read verse 2 in the beginning of verse 3, and you're welcome to read all of it. But before this statement, the Lord is good, tov Adonai, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. Here's how Nahum begins his whole prophecy. He says, God is jealous. Verse 2, Nahum 1. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. <laughs> the Lord avenges and is furious. I'm reading New King James Version. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. Boy, this is a little different than Nahum 1.7. There's a reason why I kind of stuck with Nahum 1.7. And in verse 3, the beginning of it, the Lord is slow to anger, and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. That's just before Nahum 1 7. Now, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, 
And this uh, curious, I mentioned this last week or the week before, but it's curious to me how Peter describes Yeshua to the Roman centurion. His name was Cornelius. It's curious how he describes him. After Peter finally goes to Cornelius' house, after God just shakes Peter's life up enough, and he, he goes with Cornelius' service to his house, and he begins to, he listens to Cornelius' testimony of all that God had been doing with him, and then Peter tries to describe Yeshua to Cornelius. And he says this about Yeshua. It's in Acts chapter 10, verse 38 how God anointed Yeshua of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. And then the very next statement, who went about doing what? Doing good. What a description he gives to Cornelius. He mentions first he's anointed of the Holy Spirit, and the very next statement, he's anointed with the Holy Spirit, and the very next statement is he's doing good. Friends, if you're really anointed with the Holy Spirit, guess what's going to come through in your life? You're going to be doing good. It's not dependent on what other people do with you. Because we're supposed to bless those who curse us. <laughs> we're supposed to forgive those that we need to forgive, etc. And God causes the, the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. How God anointed, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Yeshua of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Yeshua went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So should we by the administration of truth to their life, the administration of a clearer view of who God really is according to the Scripture. Because I've met numerous people now, they have a warped view of the character and nature of God. Maybe in our circle, it's not quite like that. But out there in this world, they're getting it from all kinds of sources about who God is. And God is getting blamed for everything. He's being characterized as, I mean, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And he's the ultimate good one, the Lord. First Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, for he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and what? Do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you? Peter raises this rhetorical question. Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Who is there to harm you? Even if the world's against you, guess who's not against you? God. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Peter reveals just two verses later, though, I think the real secret here, the secret to a life committed to doing good, doing good as God sees good. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile what? Your good conduct 
in Messiah may be ashamed. Friends, endeavor, endeavor to always do good and to act with goodness, kindness, and grace towards others. Be good to yourself. Be good to your family. Be good to your spouse. Husbands, be good to your wives. Wives, be good to your husbands. Be good to your friends. Be good to your neighbor next door. Be good to your coworkers. Do good towards them. And can I say it here at Rosh Pina? Be good to your fellow congregants. I mean, when you're not around them, don't speak badly about other people. You shouldn't do that with anyone. In fact, be good with everyone as best as you can. It was Anne Frank who wrote this, quote, Our lives are fashioned by our choices. Amazing insight for a young girl, teenager. Our lives are fashioned by our choices. First, we make our choices, then our choices make us, end quote. Amazing insight. Aren't our choices impacting our lives? Yes, they are. Let's choose to do good. Let's choose to do good to all, because that's what the Lord does. And as we, we choose that which is good and right in God's sight, we will more and more speak of Yeshua. He will more and more come forward in our thoughts and in our ways and in what we say and how we interact with others. And I want to leave you here this morning with these important words taken from Psalm 145. This passage in Psalm 145, verse 9, this passage describes the nature of God, which should serve to inspire all of us who would live by his Holy Spirit and who would follow him. Here it is, Psalm 145, verse 9. Tov Adonai l'kol. The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are what? Over all his works. So for God's sake, for your sake, and for our sake, please do good. Can we pray? Lord, thank you that you are good. Tov Adonai, the Lord is good. Help us to exemplify your name in our lives. Thank you that you called us to live by a different standard than the way this world is going. And we thank you for the many godly politicians, godly leaders in our community. We pray for more, Lord. We ask that there would be laws that are good in your sight and correct in your sight and righteous in your sight and holy in your sight that would be enacted in our society. We pray also, Lord, that you'll use us in our lives to those around us, in our homes, in our education places, in our congregation, in our families, in our neighborhoods. Lord, that we would be vessels of good. Even as it says of your holy son, Yeshua, he went about doing good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that example. I ask these things according to his merit. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place. 
north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.